Thanks for tuning in to the Happiness Playbook, a podcast that supports your practice of play theory, a life strategy that helps you achieve happiness through hope, creativity, and validation of self and others. Life is challenging, but we don't have to sit on the sidelines while difficult circumstances crush our dreams. Here at the Happiness Playbook, we know that our attitude plays a huge role in how we handle the challenges that come our way. So listen up as we focus on the positive and share tips and practices to improve your happiness game. I'm Larie Florence, and I'll be your host for episode 98 of the Happiness Playbook, where we'll be talking about how the first step to getting anywhere is knowing where you're at. If you've been struggling with something in your life and finding it hard to make progress, this episode will help you get on your way to arriving at the solution. No dog required, although if you do have a canine, you might get some extra tips you'll find invaluable. So stay tuned for some great ideas to come. But first, it's time for our post-game analysis. Last week, we challenged you to laugh off a loss or learn from a mistake. How did you do? This is a hard one for me. It can be discouraging when you lean in on developing a new skill and it doesn't happen instantly. My husband and I have started an arm strengthening program. It's going to take a lot of patience, humility, and consistent practice before I see any measurable real results. It'd be a lot easier to not try to improve in this area since I'm basically the T-Rex from Toy Story. My arms are like wet spaghetti noodles, but I'm hoping that with effort and focus, I'll improve. Just like with any physical improvement, we know a positive outlook and healthy mindset don't just happen. That also takes patience, humility, and practice. So I hope you're taking these play of the weeks seriously and that you are practicing your happy. I recently had the chance to practice laughing off a loss and hopefully learning from a mistake during a pickleball match. I'd been drilling on communicating and covering the middle, and then four of my pickleball buddies played a few matches with me. Welp, as often happens when my left brain is in the house doing all this important remembering and thinking stuff, my right brain, make it happen coordination center, was AWOL. This often happens when we're developing a new skill. In my case, I play worse for a few matches as I try to incorporate a new skill into my games. So, even though I didn't play as well as I'd hoped, good on me, I was able to think about this principle, let go and play, and practice the play of the week. So, I tried to keep smiling and laughing every time I hit the dang ball into the net or out of bounds. It still stung on occasion, but overall... I was able to remember to focus on each rally and enjoy the pursuit of the point, win or lose. And I think, I hope, I got a little better in the process. For our highlight reel, I wanted to highlight a study from Washington State University done in 2019, which found that cuddling a cat or dog caused a significant reduction in cortisol which is a major stress hormone. And I know cortisol contributes to a lot of our ill health and long-term disease. According to Patricia Pendry, an associate professor 
in Washington State University's Department of Human Development. Quote, just 10 minutes can have a significant impact, unquote. This is great news for pet owners because the reduction of stress hormones over time has significant benefits for physical and mental health. And I'm going to wager that if cuddling a cat or a dog for 10 minutes does good, I bet the same thing happens if you have a hamster, a guinea pig, a horse, or even a chicken. So, another plus for pets. For our team huddle, a big thank you goes out to Dance Mama. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. But she shared some kind words that she left in a review on iTunes. Quote, thought-provoking and helpful in a practical, real-life ways. And she left a five-star review. Quote, the podcast is uplifting and super helpful, practical. I love the weekly challenges that are attainable and help to create positive happiness building and sharing habits. I have started sharing these with my tween kids. Keep going. We love it. Unquote. I love that Dance Mama is sharing this with her family members so they can work on the play of the week together. We need each other. A family can be a powerful place to develop invaluable life skills and gain confidence. Keep it up, Dance Mama. I wish I had had play theory when my children were young, and I really wish my family of origin had had it when I was growing up. Your kids are lucky you're sharing it with them. For our play-by-play, I promised we'd talk about training your dog and how that relates to happiness. It's a bit tricky since not everyone has a dog. Even I don't have a dog, and that's a-okay because this isn't about dogs. I do have a grand dog named Nellie, who I've been dog-sitting for a few weeks, which is where this episode idea about acceptance and moving forward from where you are originated. Nellie was named after Eliza Minnelli, but I like to call her Nervous Nellie. The knee-jerk, explosive, wake-you-from-the-dead, dead-of-night bark at the most inopportune moments are her speciality. This nervous barking drives me crazy, so when I knew I'd have Nellie for a few weeks, I decided to try to do something about her one negative trait. Okay, she scratches at the door to go out, so we're working on that too. I've been trying to do some training, and as I've started working with her, something has become quite clear yelling, be quiet, and stop barking, or pleading with her to please stop barking doesn't work. When I yell no at Nellie, who's barking because she's nervous about something she's sensing with her supersonic ears and nose, the message she gets is, my human is upset too. Then she thinks that whatever it is she's been barking at, a fly on the window, a UPS driver, a remembered bad dream, whatever it is, it must be really important because now my human's up in arms too. As my energy increases, it only adds to hers, making it even less likely that she's going to calm down. Caesar Milan is the guru of all things dog. He has amazing resources online. I'll link some in the show notes and has multiple shows that have been on Netflix and other places you can watch, whatever you watch. I used to watch his show, Caesar 911, all the time, even though I didn't have a dog at the time, because he's so 
fun to watch. His current show called Better Human, Better Dog is all about humans and their dogs. In his work, he's found that dogs are typically just reacting to the energy of their human care providers. Dogs are pack animals and have evolved to be very sensitive to the energy of the animals around them. This is why yelling does not calm a barking, energized dog. Nellie doesn't hear a command to stop barking when I yell, stop it, or quiet. Instead, she hears that I'm joining in her anxious concern about whatever it is that's causing her to react with her signature yapping. Here's how Caesar Milan explains it. Quote, Energy is how any being presents itself to the world. Think of it as your personality, disposition, temperament, or whatever word makes sense to you. Unquote. So when Nellie is anxious about something and she barks, then I come in all anxious about her barking. It just compounds the problem, which is her being anxious. Instead, I have to consider where Nellie is at and then invite her to come somewhere else. If she's anxious about someone coming to the door and she's barking, it's much more effective if I engage her with positive energy that diffuses her fear. For example, instead of holding her back and angrily telling her to stop barking as I open the door, I can distract her with a treat, a reward for sitting or following another command she knows like standing up on her back legs. If I then open the door and engage with the person on the porch in a positive way, she's more likely to follow my lead and approach them with interest instead of cowering behind me and barking. I'm no expert and I'm far from having solved these problems, but we're make, we are making progress. This idea that inviting good behavior with enticing rewards and playful energy is huge and is far more effective than condemning and trying to just stop unwanted behavior without an invitation to do a different behavior. It's a game changer. In order to do it though, we have to start where we're at. So what do I mean by that? In my example with Nellie, I had to be present enough to figure out that my anxious energy surrounding her barking was adding to her anxious energy. I also had to recognize where she was coming from. She had been abruptly left at my house, separated from her human family or pack, so she was constantly on lookout for them. One morning, after I thought we'd made impressive strides in the effort to stop the unwanted barking, I was jolted awake by a ferocious volley of non-stop yaps. I angrily sat up, using all my self-control to not send her flying off the bed. I took a deep breath and tried to exude calmness as I leaned over to pet her in an attempt to calm her. That's when I saw the flock of turkeys just outside the window. She wasn't barking just to be barking. She was barking at something real, and in a dog's mind, that is serious, important business. I acknowledged the turkeys, and in a calm voice that I hoped would convey interest but not excitement, I invited her to chase after a favorite toy. She did so and forgot all about the turkeys. If I had reacted in a strong emotional state when she was reacting to the turkeys, she would have learned that the turkeys need to be reacted to strongly. I'm pleased to report that the turkeys have made subsequent appearances, resulting in much less ado from Nellie. 
I couldn't have gotten this out of Nellie, though, if I hadn't started where she is at. Dog training is a cool lens to view play theory through. Dogs are supreme about being present. This is from Caesar Milan's website. Dogs' emotions are rooted in the moment and are an immediate reaction to what's happening right now. Dogs don't regret the past or worry about the future. They're only thinking about the present. Is this thing in my environment friendly or a threat? Should I fight, flee, or avoid? So as humans, we get carried away with assumptions that dogs are thinking things through, like they're planning on pooping in the middle of the living room when you're not looking. Nope. They have their reasons, but it's nothing personal. If dogs' needs are met, they behave. There's a saying that a misbehaving child is a discouraged child, meaning their needs aren't met. I think this goes for dogs and adults too. When our needs are met, including feelings of love and validation, people and dogs make better choices. Again, to get a dog to do what we want, we have to meet them where they are. Do they need food, water, exercise? Have they received the proper training and consistent instruction? When we start there, instead of in the middle of a disappointing behavior like unwelcome barking or a puddle on the rug, we will be much more likely to achieve our goals of having a loyal, trouble-free companion. Here's another example of this principle, that if we want to change something, we need to accept where we are and build from there. If you use a map app on your phone and you want directions, you have to enter or share your current location. It doesn't do you any good to get directions to somewhere you want to go from somewhere you aren't. Let that sink in. Here's a personal example. For years, I struggled with health issues. They were sometimes mild and sometimes pretty dang debilitating. I hated the label chronic fatigue. My dad always used to say, you are what you eat, which is somewhat helpful, kind of. The result was that I looked to my diet to move the needle on my health issues rather than pharmaceuticals. I tried dairy-free, sugar-free, vegan, raw, clean, fasting, you name it. There were little improvements along the way, but the same symptoms would consistently return. People started to suggest that I had an allergy to wheat. Well, I was not interested in having an allergy to wheat, so I wouldn't consider that as an option. I was eating wholesome, whole grain, unbleached, unrefined, and mostly organic wheat, so there couldn't be a problem there. As my health continued to decline, tremors and a struggle with balance joined the constant fatigue and depression. It was bad. I've shared some of these issues in previous episodes. So I'll skip that here. Suffice it to say, it was long-term and it became serious. Fast forward, after a few years of this, my daughter Adeline, who helps out with the podcast, she has had eczema all of her life. We've tried everything to calm it and get it under control. When she had a flare-up on her left ring finger that actually made her fingernail fall off, an alarm went off in my foggy brain. I had suffered from eczema while I was growing up as well, and in high school, 
the same finger on my left hand had suffered the same fate from an eczema flare-up when I was Adeline's exact age. I realized that whatever I was going through, Adeline was on the same trajectory and I was desperate to spare her all that I had suffered. So I decided to be open to where I was, be it a wheat allergy or whatever it may be. I sought out a nutritionalist and ordered a thorough blood work panel to try to figure out the food culprits and nutritional deficiencies that were behind her eczema. Guess what? It turns out she's allergic to wheat. Further blood work revealed that I am the cause of my children's intolerance for gluten or wheat. So with a heavy but hopeful heart, I went gluten-free. That's the bad news. The good news is once I stopped eating wheat, my symptoms started to fall away. And today I enjoy healthy and vibrant health. It's been painful to consider all those years I wasted wandering around looking in all the wrong places for a solution to my problems because I wouldn't accept where I was. In case this is helpful to anyone else out there suffering from a mystery illness, it turns out that I have gluten-induced ataxia. The symptoms worsen until it looks a lot like multiple sclerosis. Ironically, the typical stomach pains and digestive issues typical of a gluten allergy are absent. And with this type of illness, which was formally recognized only 10 years ago, it can go unnoticed. In my case, I didn't think I had a wheat allergy because I didn't have stomach issues. But in ataxia, instead of experiencing intestinal discomfort, the gluten attacks your brain, specifically the cerebellum. My ataxia symptoms included extreme fatigue, making it hard to use my hands. Even holding up a book was sometimes too hard. I had slurred speech and I'd struggle with words or switch the first consonants, like saying lopstite instead of stoplight. My eyes were very sensitive to light and loud noises were jarring. I had poor coordination and my balance was limited. I would sometimes struggle to stand on one foot. I would get tingling in my arms and hands, especially after something stressful, like driving on the freeway. I also noticed a pronounced dragging of one of my feet or a shuffling gait, which is very typical in ataxia. Because of the damage to the cerebellum or the part of the brain that controls coordination, if left untreated, the symptoms can progress till it resembles Lou Gehrig's, Parkinson's, or like in my case, multiple sclerosis. I am so grateful that I have found some answers and have seen dramatic improvements in my health. I'm also sad that it took me so many years to be open to the idea that I wasn't where I thought I was and that in fact, I was somewhere I didn't want to be, allergic to wheat. I was definitely in denial about the whole thing for years. I would not accept that it was a possibility. And without that acceptance of where I really was, I could not progress. In Alcoholics Anonymous, the first step to recovery is accepting that you're addicted to alcohol. Without that acceptance of where you are, you can't progress towards your goal of sobriety. Where else do we miss the boat? on where we won't accept where we are. Maybe relationships, our age, 
maybe in finances or our lack of finances or debt. Maybe pickleball skills. We might think we're better than we are so we won't drill or work to improve. Do we have unhelpful patterns that are invisible to us but are destructive to our relationships with our partners and loved ones and we're not open to feedback? On a super deep level, are we struggling with our weight or health goals because we're buffering with food and not addressing an emotional wound or some other need in our life? On a more surface level, in conversations, do we jump in where we want to be instead of accepting where the other person is in what they're trying to communicate? It takes being open to seeing things differently than how we may want to see them. It took effort to see past Nellie's annoying, disruptive, and often startling barks, but only after I was present and after I let go of my preconceived ideas about what she was thinking was I able to accept where she really was coming from, and only then can I now work to take her where I think she needs to go to experience the improvements that will benefit both of us, me because I won't get woken up in the middle of the night by an anxious dog's barking, and her because she'll feel safe and calm knowing that I'm feeling safe and calm and not anxious and irritated. So for our play of the week, is there something in your life that's unsatisfactory? Maybe it's a barking dog. Maybe it's a whining child. Maybe it's how your clothes fit. Give some consideration to something that you want to feel better about and then person, aka man up and take an honest look at where you are starting from and build a plan from there. Maybe you're struggling with some credit card debt. Then sit down and really look at the current bill. Look at where the money went and accept that as where you are now and build a plan about how you will control where future money goes so you can change this scenario to a positive one. Tired of feeling pinched in your clothes after gaining the infamous COVID-15? Take a deep breath and get on that scale first thing tomorrow morning and write down that starting point as you map out a plan to get back to where you feel comfortable. Take a deep look at why food and exercise have been out of balance in your life and drop a plan based on that knowledge. Maybe you've been eating out of boredom. Maybe you've developed an insatiable addiction to Cheetos. Maybe you don't like exercising alone. Sit with it until you get to the root of why your health habits are wanting and then determine that first action. Maybe you need to choose an interesting activity like knitting that you reach for instead of the chips the next time you're bored. Maybe you need to throw out all the Cheetos and chop up some carrots to replace them when you get the munchies. Maybe it's setting up a regular pickleball match to get you moving. You get the idea. Take some time to get clear about where you really are, truly accepting this reality, and then build a better future by making a plan that will take you where you truly want to be, one step at a time. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the podcast with others that you think it will benefit. That's our goal. We want everyone to succeed in life, and the Play Theory Game Plans help do just that when you take the time to consciously practice. Next time, we'll be talking about how to successfully navigate the number one fear of all humanity and how you can overcome it. Just to clarify, we're not talking about swimming with sharks. Till then, stay calm and carry on. And remember, happy isn't something that happens to you. 
It's something you make happen. And here at the Happiness Playbook, we're all about helping you do just that. Remember to keep practicing happy. We're here for you. You got this.